Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Greatest Games, brought to you by The Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, with me of course is Jonathan Wilson, and with us today in the pod is Alexander Holliger, independent football writer and contributor to The Guardian, 442, The Blizzard and many, many more. Alex, a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, today we go back to the 21st of November 2000. And seven, England two, Croatia three at a very wet Wembley Stadium in both teams' final Euro 2008 qualifier. Alex, as a Croatian, why have you gone for this game? It's just, um, uh, obviously, Croatia have had uh, more important, bigger games uh, before that and, and after that. But still, this game is... is Still somehow re- remembered as the game, you know, when we show the English, you know. So uh, it's um, the status of the game in Croatia is very interesting. I, I think it's also interesting in, in England. Uh, it's one of the, the key games uh, for England in their recent history. And uh, in some respects is also uh, the same can be said about Croatia as well. So it's just... Uh, we could have gone for the, the most recent game uh, uh, against England, like in, in the World Cup. Uh, but I thought this would be just... Um, there are more aspects to these games that we can talk about, I thought. Mm-hmm. Jonathan, what, what leaps to mind for you when, when this game is mentioned? I think it's just everything that was wrong about English football at that time. Uh, I mean, I, I, was, I was watching the build-up uh, as, you know, as well as the highlights, I watched the build-up again uh, this week to, to prepare for this. And it's really amazing, the tone. The tone is, we've done it. It's all right, we're there. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's even afterwards, Michael Owen said, I can't think of a single Croatian who'd get in our team. Yeah. You think, they've just beaten you twice. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and I think, you know, there was a lot of talk around the World Cup game about um, supposed English arrogance. And, and I think maybe a sort of a misunderstanding of the tone of, of football's coming home. And I, you know, I, I felt that was sort of misplaced in, in 2018. But it's not misplaced at all in 2007. There's an astonishing self-regard yeah. about that England team. And I think, um, you know, even Gary Lineker at the beginning of the, of the live coverage, you know, I, I've written it down because it, it struck me so much. He said, so, so England, England needed draw out of this game to go through. And they needed draw because of the whole series of freakish coincidences have got very little to do with England playing well. Yes. He says, it's been a little precarious at times, but by and large, it works out. Well, why would it, why would it work out? You know, why, the, 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 the idea that Croatia is just there, just to sort of, they'd be happy to come to Wembley and just sort of play their part in this big party just because they already qualified, mm. I think was a spectacular misjudgment. And, and really England deserved what happened to them. Mm. Yeah, Alex, you you mentioned it, and Jonathan has got into it more there. This arrogance of the England national team that was felt in Croatia. Yeah, uh, this is exactly what I wanted to talk about. But um, if we're going to get into that, I would uh, just for a moment, just for a minute, uh, go to the World Cup game in in uh, two thousand and eighteen. Uh, the thing is, uh, I don't think uh, that. Uh, the whole uh, football's coming home theme and everything was misunderstood in Croatia. Yes, by, by some it was, maybe even by the manager. But I think uh, there were people in, in his team or uh, pe- 
people who, who did understand it, even from the media, who deliberately tried to uh, use that, you know, to motivate the players. Uh, you must understand that, um, you know, Croatia is still a young nation, it's still building its uh, football culture. And it's always, uh, it's never just about football when the national team plays. It's always, uh, they always put in some kind of political context, patriotism, stuff like that. And uh, motivation is very often a key thing for them. And they are best motivated when they feel like underdogs and when their opponents are arrogant, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, they, just, uh, they just waited for, for somebody in the England camp or the media to say something that would remotely sound arrogant to motivate the players. Well, they didn't have to wait long, did they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but uh, this is... Uh, this is just the, the, something that is taken for granted that, you know, English are arrogant in football. Uh, this is uh, in partly, uh, partly due to, I, I would say, lazy journalism and stuff like that. But it's also uh, maybe a part of uh, uh, Croatia's own complexes, you know. They always have to prove themselves to somebody, you know. And... Uh, I, I just think that uh, two years ago, they just uh, remembered how they beat in England, you know, before. And this is the way to go. You know, we have to, uh, we have to tell to the players, we have to say to the players that, that the English are arrogant. We have to convince them, you know, in order to motivate them. Because Croatia, um, the players were already really exhausted, you know. And they played the previous two games on penalties. They won on penalties. And uh, uh, by the time they met England, uh, the general expectation in the, in the public, in the media, was that they're going to beat England, you know. Because, you know, even though uh, it's not normal for Croatia to be in the semi-final, it's not really normal for England, is it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so people didn't think, people uh, thought maybe not that Croatia were unbeatable at the moment, but that they cannot be beaten by England, perhaps that, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, by, by that game, they, they, I think uh, that they felt like they were the favorites. And this is not a good position for them. So the, uh, the, the manager and everybody had to convince them that they are still underdogs, who are being, you know, uh, patronized by the, the English or whatever, you know. Mm. So I, I think um, that the situation here, you know, it's very different from the game in, in 2007, because in 2007, it's, it was really obvious that the English behaved the way Jonathan said they did. Uh, well, I'll tell you the worst thing from that. Um, and it was actually the game out in Zagreb. Uh, and the, the press conference the day before the game, the England press conference with Steve McLaren, it wasn't translated. It wasn't sorry, it wasn't translated live. It was translated afterwards. Oh, cool. um, and if, if I'm, I, I sorry, I get this confused. It was a very similar incident happened in Warsaw at around the same time. Um, so, so one of them, Croatian journalists were allowed to ask questions as long as they asked in English. Or, or sorry, not Croatian. One of them, the local journalists were allowed to ask questions as long as they were in English. The other one, it was just. Only English journalists ask questions, which is absolutely outrageous. <laughs> to, to turn up in another country and say, no, no, you're not allowed to ask questions or you're not allowed to ask in, in your own language. Yeah, this the, is ridiculous. The, the self-regard of doing that. But why do you think that is, Jonathan? Why do you think they, that that approach was taken then? Well, I can tell you who is to blame. Um, but 
I'm not necessarily look, looking for names, although well, we're very okay. happy it's, to have it's them. A, but... It's a combination of a sort of craven media department that's terrified of the, you know, the, the, the big dogs of the press. And I think that was the problem around sort of the end of Ericsson's era and, and, and the McLaren era. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a combination of that. And, and I think back then, I, I think on the Southgate, it's changed radically. But a, a manager and senior playing staff who, who genuinely thought they were better than these other teams they played. I mean, I, I, look, I know, I know, Svenja and Eriksson is a is a is a huge hero of yours, but you know, he he was he was present at the draw for these qualifiers, mm-hmm. uh, even though he knew that that he was not going to be in charge after the World Cup in in two thousand and six. And his line was, "Well, at least I've done a good job for, for them for them today. I think whoever <laughs> plays me will think I've done a good job." And you think that's just, you know, okay. England had avoided. I think they could have played Germany or Spain or Italy, and they had a they had avoided them. But when you have a group where two teams qualify, the best team in the group is not the team you should be scared of. It's the third best team in the group yeah. you should be uh-huh. scared of. And so you look at this group, and you've got England, Croatia, Russia, three teams who were all capable. You know, at various points in history have all been very good sides. Uh, plus, you've got Israel, who are difficult, and Macedonia, who are difficult. So this was in no sense an easy group. Mm-hmm. It was a really awkward, difficult group. And I think the fact that there was no sort of no obvious giant there, in a sense, made it even harder for that generation of of England players who who had this astonishing. I mean, I've used the word before. This astonishing self regard. I mean, the the, the the sense you got all the way through the two thousand six World Cup was. Yeah, we'll probably win this because we haven't won it for forty years, and it's it's our turn. And the, the fact they were playing rubbish football didn't seem to occur to anybody. It was just, well, come on, yeah, you know, it's about time we won it. You've actually mm-hmm. got to go out and win the thing. It doesn't get given to you just because you're England. Yeah, I mean, Alex, the Croatia side, of course, qualifying for Euro two thousand and eight. You had some good players in there. You had um, Eduardo who was at Arsenal, uh, Verdan Chodluka, Dario Simic, Niko Kovac, yeah. um, Olic. Uh, young Luka Modric, yeah. a very young player, of course, who who was quite uh, looking forward to the game at Wembley. He wasn't intimidated at all. You know, this mm. was a good Croatia side. Croatia, of course, we'd seen them at Euro '96 and France '98, where they were superb. Didn't qualify for Euro 2000. Uh, first round in um, 2002, I believe, but they beat Italy, so there was a marquee result in there. Yeah. 2004, uh, uh, first round in the group with England. 2006, out in the first round. Uh, of course, this seemed to be, if my memory is correct, the best Croatia side probably since France '98. Yes, it was uh, at least the, by far the most exciting. I think mm. even up until today, um, you know, the general feeling I think was in Croatia that we'll never have the, any anything remotely uh, to anything. Remotely similar to that generation of 1998, who you know won the bronze, and um, the squad was in stagnation or decline for for years then, and this was the first time after you know in a decade that they were finally on the up, and they had uh, young Slaven Bilic, who was this rock star manager, you know, <laughs> he was so exciting, you uh, know, and uh, Nico Krancher, uh, who previously played. I know he was just kind of out of sorts, you know, in the in the, in the previous um, team uh, led by his father. 
because he was there, the, the, the sole playmaker in an outdated system. And after that, uh, when, um, when Slavin Bilic took over, he managed to somehow, you know, uh, blend him in along with Luka Modric. And Luka Modric was really, really exciting at the time. He, he, didn't, uh, he wasn't the player he is now. He was different. Uh, slightly more attacking and uh, but uh, it was ge generally it was a sense that this is um, really a well-balanced team you know a combination of uh, seasoned veterans like the college brothers especially Niko Kovac who was absolutely key for that uh, that team and some of the youngsters you know uh, even Eduardo was still quite young at the time he wasn't uh, anything like a veteran and uh, Modric was this up-and-coming star and this is generally a, a very exciting time for Croatia. Mm. What did you make of, uh, as he was then, the young Slaven Bilic in charge, Jonathan? Because he did, we know Bilic in this country reasonably well, a very likeable, passionate man. He got them going. Yeah, he did. I mean, I'd, I'd interviewed him a couple of years previously when he'd been uh, under-21 coach and the the difference between his outlook and Slako Kranchar's outlook was 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 vast, and so I mean I I I don't know, and yeah, Alex, you, you can you can tell me, but I I don't know if people realise at this stage quite how good this Croatia side was, but certainly the impression I got was, this is this is Croatian football moving from a this sort of the old style of football based around a single playmaker to something much more modern, much more fluid. And I remember Bilic saying that you know, if if he if he could if he could choose many players in the world he would play a four three three, and I think he did try that at first, and then then he so he realised that that wasn't well. quite going to work, and so it ends up being this four one three two, but it, it's the balance of it that's perfect because you have Modric who at that time was almost like an old school playmaker but with sort of a modern dynamism. You had Cranshaw playing on the left, um, Dario Serna who. You know, became a very attacking right back, but at the time played sort of on the right side of midfield. Mm. Sort of, he he did the running that Cranchar couldn't. And then you and had a great Nick, right foot though. Oh yeah, a wonderful cross of the ball, really mm. really good footballer. But you know the fact he he goes on to become a, a great right back, it, you know it tells us he's prepared to put in the work. He's prepared to chug up and down. And then then as Alex says, I think Niko Kovac was absolutely essential because his energy and his reading of the game, playing as the only holder midfielder, with essentially. Well, so four and a half attacking players ahead of him, and, and Cerna kind of tucking in a bit. You know, without him, it, it wouldn't have worked. They'd, they'd have they'd have been you know, too too open. Yeah. So he 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 you know he had that four three three template, but he's prepared to amend it, and he finds his. I mean, I think balance is. You used the word earlier, but I think balance is absolutely the word for it. It was, it was an incredibly well balanced team. Although although we did have um, Vedran Chorluka and Josip Šimunić as fullbacks. Which neither of them really are. You know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. old-fashioned ideas of what a fullback should be, isn't it? Yeah. Sort okay. Sorlok at the time he he used to play uh, right back at, at the time wasn't exceptionally good at it, but but you know he, he it was it was working. Um, yeah, but it, it was uh, so vastly different than uh, what uh, Zlatko Krancher had tried. He had like seven defensively minded uh, players in the team, you know. But I, mean, I think the point you make about Chiminic, uh, we might as well deal with it now because I think it does become relevant that essentially Steve McLaren had a choice between 
uh, Sean Wright Phillips or David Beckham to start on the right to playing mm-hmm. up against Shimanich. And Beckham had been injured and he'd only played only played less than a full game since the August for LA Galaxy. So there was a fitness issue there. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the reasons he went for Wright Phillips was the thought that Wright Phillips running at, at, at Shimanich would would terrify him. And the game before that, um, Croatia had already qualified, but they lost 2-0 to Macedonia. Oh, yeah. And, and Macedonia had this, uh, this little right winger, uh, Lazarevsky, was that his name? Yeah, Lazarevsky, who, so, yeah. who yeah, destroyed Shimanich in that game. Mm-hmm. So I think think that was why McLaren went for Wright Phillips. So the, the idea that Shimanich, yeah, he's a little bit clumsy, you can get at him with, with a smaller, nippier player. Yeah, and if you, if you notice, uh, in every game after that, England would uh, exploit uh, Croatia's left-back position. <laughs> yeah, but Walcott getting a hat-trick from there. That, that was always the weak link, you know. And, <laughs> and in, in the games after that, with, under Fabio Capello, they just destroyed Croatia on the left-back, you know. When Daniel Pranic played there, he was just, just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, a four-one in Zagreb with the World Cup hat trick. I think is a classic example of that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed. All right, gentlemen, let's have a quick break, and then we'll talk about the game itself. See you in a moment. Welcome back to the greatest games on the Blizzard, everybody. Uh, let's get down to it, gentlemen. Uh, England two, Croatia three at Wembley. Uh, it was an extremely wet and sodden affair at Wembley. The weather was miserable. Um, but of course, Croatia were the team. They were in top position in the group. They'd already qualified, as you've already mentioned. England, all they needed was just a draw. What could go wrong? But, I mean, we should talk about how they got in that <laughs> position. So the previous month, well, absolutely. The previous month, they'd gone to Russia. They'd been one nil up, and then they got absolutely battered in the second half by by hitting Russia. And the first sort of sign of just how good Russia would be at the Euros the following year. And Pavlichenko ended up scoring twice. And I, I was at that game. And um, I think I was with Lufthansa. Uh, anyway, whoever I'd flown out with had lost my luggage. So I, I, I didn't have my warm coat and I was freezing at that game. Oh. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is, I've never, I've never known a four minutes go by so slowly that Russia equalise. And oh. you think, I was sort of thinking, well, if England can sort of see out the next sort of five, ten minutes, they, they might just get away with this. And then when Pavlachenko scores again, Looking at my watch and realizing it's only four minutes had passed, and yet there must have been like thirty chances in that four minutes. It was an absolute <laughs> pummeling, mm. and so yeah. as a result of that, um, England could already have been out, but Russia went to Israel um, Sorry, yeah. the, the, the the day, so the, the weekend. This is on the Wednesday night, the weekend before Croatia had yeah. lost two 0 in Macedonia. Uh, Russia went to Israel, and it was one one going into the final minute. Dmitry Sechev hits the post, mm-hmm. and a minute later, Omar Golan scores this this winner for for Israel, which means that England only need a draw. Mm-hmm. And so they were mm-hmm. so lucky going into this game, needing only a draw. Yeah. And I think it was almost as if they thought, "Well, the job's done," because why would Croatia have already qualified come here to try and beat us? Given, I mean, mm-hmm. Bilic as well. You know, Bilic, Bilic had a at the time he had a flat at Chelsea Harbour, um, and that was I went out to split when I interviewed him, and we realised. Very early on, on in very early on in the interview, that from my balcony in a much poorer part of London to his balcony, a very wealthy part of London, we could actually see each other. We both <laughs> now have balcony, we could wave to each other. Yeah, uh-huh. um, and I'm just around the corner from you as well. Jonathan, where you are, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in the other direction. Um, but uh, you know, Billich is huge Anglophile. You know, his son apparently was was an England fan rather than a Croatia fan. So so Billich claimed. 
Um, and so I, I think there was a real complacency about England. Mm. I mean, yeah, that's right. I, I remember the game, of course, when Israel kind of did England a favour because England in the in the group had sort of, they'd been a bit poor. They hadn't really got going uh, after World Cup 2006 and some of those games. Beckham was dropped. Then he was brought back in the side. And and he was, uh, you know, I, I think it was a way to Estonia, was it perhaps? You know, he'd put in a few crosses that Crouch got on them, the end of one or two others. And suddenly England looked a bit rejuvenated. And, and it was kind of like, oh, yes, Beckham still can play a bit. And, and England were looking good. Or not looking good, but they were looking a little bit more hopeful. That Russia game came along, destroyed. Israel then then help England out, and you, they go into the game thinking, "Oh, this is actually this is a celebration. This is going to be a night to celebrate us qualifying." Bloody uh, bloody blah, 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 blah. And one the the great mistake they made very early on, well, other than conceding a soft opener, of course, was the game got very heated and got quite spicy quite early on. And I remember thinking to myself. England, what on earth are you doing? You have an, an oppo- you have an opponent who have already qualified. Now that doesn't mean to say they're going to be complacent, but they have already qualified. So you know they may not be as aggressive as they might be because they don't need a result, perhaps. And England, Alex, started getting a little bit. There was a little bit of chat and so on. And I, and I thought you are making Croatia suddenly think right. We are going to do you here. We're gonna we're gonna take this game to you. It was. Am I right in saying that that was the the, the feeling? Yeah, perhaps um, because I don't think Croatia uh, went into this game saying, "Okay, let's do it. Let's win. Let's yeah. trash them." It was just uh, they 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 just uh, knew they were playing without any pressure. Knew mm. that uh, England were you know very complacent going into the game, and it's. Uh, most of them uh, are such characters that this just brings out, you know, some kind of, I don't know, spite or whatever in them. Okay, we'll show you, you know. <laughs> and this is, um, when you think about it, uh, the game uh, just took off by that uh, weird uh, goal, first goal. It was really uh, an awkward goal. And, and after that, it just, you know... Um, Started a chain of events that would last yeah. even after that game, even maybe uh, you know a decade after that game, because uh, Croatians feel uh, when they have beaten England in, in that game, uh, they will never be underestimated again by England. Mm. You know, this was mm. like their their ticket to high society. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to realize that at the time Croatia didn't play uh, the big teams very often. You know, when England played friendlies, they always played, you know, Spain, France, uh, all the big teams. Croatia would uh, have to, you know, make do with Hungary, Ukraine or whatever. You know? So they didn't have too many chances to, to play the big teams. And they were particularly motivated every time they played against them. Uh, when they played Germany, they would, you know... Uh, <laughs> They, 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 they are. They have beaten Germany more than once, uh, beaten Italy more than once, beaten England more than once. This is kind of creation uh, thing, you know, tricky little bastards. 
<laughs> Absolutely. But Jonathan, it was that I mean that opening goal was a disaster for England. It was Scott Carson in goal. Um he he was put in there uh, by uh, Steve McLaren, which was a controversial decision. He'd obviously put Beckham on the bench, but Beckham would have his chance. But I mean what did you make of that decision from McLaren to put Scott Carson in there? I think it was one of those decisions that he probably should have made earlier. Uh in that Paul Robinson's form had been had been poor. Um, but obviously, being the incident in Zagreb, which I mean, who blame whoever you want for it, but the Gary Neville back pass that bobbles and he takes a swing at it and misses and it, it goes in, and it, it, I mean, really, it's it's one of those unfortunate things. It's not a mistake, but he was a goalkeeper to whom bad things had started to happen. Um, I think I'm right in saying that that at that point he'd let in more goals from outside the box than any other player in the Premier League that season. Um, oh, yeah. And so, so yeah, so Carson had made his debut the previous Friday. When England played away in Austria, and that game ended up really screwing England because Michael Owen got injured. So they'd already lost Heskey, uh, they'd already lost Rooney to injury, um, and then they yeah they lost Owen as well. So you know, McLaren and Zagreb had gone to a back three for the first time with essentially no preparation, and you know he he went to a four three three here having not really played. He'd been playing four four two for most of the qualifiers, and I think that really hampered England. So. The Carson decision, look, it looks terrible because eight minutes into his home debut, into his competitive debut, he lets in a 30-yard shot that, yeah, okay, the, the pitch is wet. The pitch maybe wasn't as good as Wembley normally is because it had been used for American football a couple of weeks earlier. Uh, it was, you know, Wembley was still relatively new and, and I think the pitch hadn't quite bedded in to the level it has now. So, But you make all those excuses. It's a disastrous one to let in. It's yeah, because but but you know, it's not. A, it was not really a coincidence. I've spoken to to Slaven Bilic about it, and and he specifically told me that he asked the players to try the shot from outside the box because he thought Paul Robinson was going to be in goal. <laughs> and as you said, you know, he uh, he had these stats that he considered most goals in the Premier League that season from outside the box. So uh, he also uh, said that uh, he knew the, uh, something about the grass at Wembley that was, I don't know, more slippery than usual or more wet, and it was, uh, it was raining. So uh, he told them to, to take the shot from outside, especially, particularly to Nico Krancher, who is very good at that. So uh, when he took that shot, that was, he was just following the manager's instructions, which, which I thought is... Uh, I know a remarkable piece of micromanagement. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, it is. But I mean, I think the the thing where you really blame Carson, it, it's okay. The surface is difficult. Let, let, let's accept that. I'm not even sure yeah. that's true, but let's accept that. But if that's the case, get your body behind the ball. Mm. And the thing is, the shot is not. It's not. It's not even a yard from him. It's right next to him, and somehow he still doesn't get his body behind it. And so when when it does just kick up slightly, it just sort of flips over his arm. And his, mm-hmm. his chest should be there. So if it hit his chest and bounced out and Ollich had followed in or whatever, okay, it's a bit unlucky. This, I think, is just a horrendous error. But there's two other things I want to say about that. The first is, and this might be unfair, if you look at the players lining up in the tunnel beforehand, Carson looks terrified. Mm. And okay, may, may, maybe, yeah, from the outside, how can you tell? Maybe maybe that's just how he prepares himself. But he, he does this thing. He looks left, he glances left, glances right, then looks down, takes this huge breath. He looks like a man who's very, very nervous indeed. And okay, he's your home England debut in front of 80 or 1,000 fans at Wembley. And he missed the entire difference, yeah? 
Yeah. You know, everybody was missing. Uh, Rio Ferdinand and Terry and, and Cole and yeah, was, everybody. Yeah, was, uh, was a, in the back four was was Michael Richards and Wayne Bridge at fullback, Sol Campbell and Julian Lescott in the middle. Yeah, and, and Campbell, you have a Campbell of seven or eight years earlier. It was a very different player to this Sol Campbell. Mm-hmm. This is a Sol Campbell who, you know, eighteen months earlier, would walked out of Highbury at half time, and okay, he's he's done incredibly well to get back to a level where he's getting picked for England again, but he wasn't the same the same player. And then the other thing, I think there's just a symbolic beauty to it that the the, the term golden generation was coined by Adam Crozier, the CEO of the, the Football Association, mm-hmm. and in the week after Kevin Keegan's resignation following the defeat to Germany at Wembley. And that was a defeat caused by Didier Hamann hitting a shot on a wet pitch from 30 yards that skids past the goalkeeper. And this is the end of a golden generation, and it's caused by a shot from 30 yards skidding past the goalkeeper. So the, the beginning and the end of a golden generation, however <laughs> misnamed it was, are signalled by 30-yard shots that go through a goalkeeper. Hmm. Yeah, and it was one nil to Croatia, and then it would soon be two nil to Croatia. Sean Wright Phillips misses a decent chance for England. It could have been one all, and you think to yourself, "Well, it could have been different." Blah de blah de blah. But Olic nips in, uh, Alex, and it's and it's suddenly two nil to Croatia with barely fifteen minutes gone, and they're celebrating on the touchline, and England are thinking, "Hang on a bleeding minute here, we we, we might go out. You know, we've got a game on our hands." Yeah, uh, my impression was that the England were still, you know, knocked down a little bit uh, when that happened. Uh, it was just, even that second goal was kind of uh, awkward, I know. It, it's, it didn't really, um, you, you wouldn't say it was against the run of play, but it was something that, uh, you know, you see these goals happen like out of nothing in, in many games. Uh, this wasn't uh, a result of some really, I don't know, well-executed team effort. It was just, just happened, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we only added to the England shock. I mean, you say, yeah, you say it just happened. I know what you mean. That, that kind of it wasn't that Croatia did anything brilliant to do it. Apart from, you know, so there's a there's, Sol Campbell hits a long ball to to Crouch, mm-hmm. and Croatia it seemed to me were kind of letting Crouch win headers and knew they could pick up a second ball. Yeah, Niko Kovic gets in, picks up the second ball ahead of Lampard and plays a very good pass out to Eduardo. And then Eduardo and Olic are good enough that it goes Eduardo to Olic to Eduardo to Olic. England don't get close to them. England are yeah. so sort of, I don't know if they're stunned, I don't know if they're complacent, I don't know what. Yeah. It's one of the sloppy, I mean, Richard Williams in The Guardian described it as the sloppiest goal England have ever conceded. <laughs> and, and that might be a slight exaggeration, but it's a horrendous goal to concede. It's, it's yeah. a sort of, England watching Croatia. Yeah, what they were doing, them. what they were doing, is something that Igor Stimac would very often say. They were standing too far apart from their players. This is his favorite expression, you know, as if you really need to stay, you know, very close to a player if you want to defend. But that's what happened, you know. They were just, you know, like watching Croatia do the thing. And, and, and yeah, this was a problem that the Clarence England had. So here they let in two goals in six minutes. They let in two in four minutes in Russia. There'd been a friendly against Germany and let in two in 14. Uh, the game in Zagreb had let in two in, in nine, I think it was. Well, yeah, the Eduardo header and then the... the mm-hmm. yeah. Um, oh, yeah, eight or nine minutes. Two in less than 10 minutes. So they kept doing this. That Once they let in one, it was as if that knocked the stuffing out of them. They, they were very vulnerable for the next 10 minutes or so. So it sort of comes from nowhere. 
But even if it's coming from nowhere, that was something that, that England had been guilty of before. And just the failure to to do any kind of defending. Uh-huh. And yeah, you know, Olic, it's just like Olic can't believe it because he, he goes past Carson hmm. and he's not he's not looking at the goal as he puts it in. He's looking at the linesman as if he thinks, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. must be yeah. offside because this doesn't feel right. So it's yeah. a no-look finish, but it's not like an arrogant no-look finish. <laughs> it's a no-look finish going, is this, is this allowed? Have I... Have I just not heard a whistle? Or... Yeah, I mean, if you... And he's well on the side. If oh, you well take... on the side, yeah, yeah. Wayne Bridge if, plays him by you, about four yards. If you take that detail, how he reacted when scoring a goal, and if you remember how uh, Nico Kranchel reacted when yeah. he scored, it was like as if he was a bit embarrassed about it, you know? <laughs> like, what? Really? <laughs> that happened, yeah. Yeah, but it was when the first one goes in, it all you can hear Wembley and probably people at home suddenly going a bit, oh, hang on, that's... That's not right. Yeah. Well, it was okay. It was a goalkeeping error. Oh, that's a bit. Oh, let's put a cat amongst the pigeons. Okay, fine. Right, come on, back into it. And obviously, Wright Phillips has that chance. And then the second one goes in, and everyone's thinking, "Whoa, whoa, what's going on here?" Because England, certainly as a fan, you then start to think, "Hang on, we've been here before in two thousand and one against Greece when we nearly messed it up." And a combination of David Beckham and Anthony Niemi, was it, in goal for Finland, uh, made sure England qualified that day. And so you think, oh, OK, right, this is, mm, this feels diff- this feels bad, this feels worse, because England were clearly better than Greece when they played them at Old Trafford in 2001. I think people looking around going, uh, Croatia look a lot better than us at the moment. Well, and, and the, other, the other thing about that analogy is that Mm-hmm. Um, so, so England, a draw was enough for England against Greece because Germany could only draw against Finland, which is why exactly. you, you mentioned Antinemi. Mm. Russia were playing Andorra, so Andorra aren't going to do any. You know, Finland didn't. The they favorite. tried. They, well, they only lost Andorra one. Only, they only lost one. Yeah, basically, Russia's three points were guaranteed in a way that Germans yeah. weren't. Was that was that a low for for England fans? Do you think when <laughs> when when Croatia the full time whistle won and Croatia went and then everyone went oh did Andorra Nikola <laughs> an equaliser was that a, low? <laughs> a, a particularly it dark was moment a possibility in... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've always got a chance at one nil um, so in at half time two um, nil uh, I mean Jonathan what does I mean this is a whole Steve McLaren obviously he had his umbrella up because it was raining and he got derided the Wally with the Brolly. Uh, as the press uh, dubbed him, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, he didn't look like the type of man that was going to inspire England at half-time. England lost that game for a whole number of reasons, one of which is Stephen Clown's management. The fact he was, had an umbrella is totally irrelevant to it. Of, of course. And, I'm just the, going down memory lane. The way, <laughs> that, the way that the tabloids are focused on that is, again, part mm-hmm. of everything that was wrong with English football culture at the time, that nobody sort of thought about processes or about tactics or about how you set about winning games. It was all about image and all about moments and all about sort of, you know, courage and lion hearts. Yeah, if you get now played, you get now played. And you know, even John Motson on the commentary, you know, he says something like, uh, Steve McLaren and Terry Venables, who, of course, was working with him by then, um, th- th- they'll be stripping the paint off addressing walls at half-time. That's not the problem. The problem isn't mm. that England aren't trying. Okay, there's a complacency there for sure. But the problem is they're just not very good at football. They're kind of all over the place tactically. Um, so he brings on Beckham at half time for Sean Mike Phillips. So I don't think Sean Mike Phillips particularly had done much wrong in the first half. But it was almost like we need a Greece style performance. Yeah. Let's bring yeah. on Beckham. And at least if we get a free kick, we might have a chance from that. At least corners, we know we're going to get good delivery. Um, but I mean, that's a desperate thing to think that. Yeah. The only way we can get back into this is to sort of 
Well, it was quite something, wasn't it? Because McLaren had made a bit of an example of Beckham after oh, the which World was, Cup. Which we... was embarrassing. It was preposterous. Yeah, the, it was yeah. the classic kind of, um, yeah, I'm going to show him a big man by by sacking the kind of the, the, the big star. And mm. it, it was, again, it was all about gestures. It wasn't about anything you know, mm. real. But it was the star he then turned to to try and bail him out, of course. Yeah, which is, again, it's embarrassing. It's, it's sort of, he had to sort of mm. go back on, 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 on this great decision. And that, yeah. I mean, that completely I mean, undermined him, his authority. That you know. Yeah. But then into the second half, England get a penalty. Was it a slight soft penalty, Alex, would you say? I don't know. I don't, a tricky one. I can't quite remember. I did watch the game again, but I uh, didn't pay much attention, to be honest. No, just too busy <laughs> well, celebrating yeah, those I mean, goals. Look, it's, <laughs> a, it's a definite foul. It's the kind of thing you often get away okay. with. A bridge crosses uh, from the left. Okay. Shimonich, despite being about eight foot taller than Sean Wright Phillips, decides he has to pull him <laughs> back and gives away the penalty. I mean, it's a very Shimonich thing to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Was it, it wasn't definitely. Sean Wright Phillips. It wasn't Sean Wright Phillips, was it? It was. Oh, uh, sorry, uh, Defoe. Uh, yeah, not not Wright Phillips. Defoe, and another another short forward. Yeah, yeah, Defoe. <laughs> um, uh, Defoe had come on, of course, because England needed something. Lampard slams home the penalty. And that's where England fans then start to think, all right, hang on, here we go. Mm-hmm. This this is a bit more like it. But of course, Croatia are not done. Now, obviously, they don't score again until England equalise, but Croatia still come forward. Scott Carson makes quite the save from a corner. There was a close-range yes. header, yeah. um, which which uh, would have given him a bit of confidence. And then comes the moment when... Well, and also, Beckham... Olic hits the bar. Yes, so, he does, yeah. those two chances, there's yeah, the... It's Adolich's header from the corner that, that, that Carson... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of straight at him, but he does sort of beat it away. Yeah. And then there's that, that instant when Olich goes through and it's sort of him and Bridge both sort of kick at it together and the ball loops mm-hmm. up and clips the top of the ball. So England could easily have been 4-1 down. Yeah, so there was there were, there were, there were chances for Croatia, as, as we say, and, and, and they, they certainly weren't done. Um, but then Beckham gets the ball, you know, kind of just fizzes in a beautiful ball onto Crouch's chest. Uh, who who takes it down and finishes very very well to all and England think ah oh, there we go there it is normality resumed we've 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 done it we've got there um, and if not two two probably go on and win three two maybe um, and 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 that was a moment where there was a huge sigh of relief around Wembley Alex um, but it would be short lived uh, because uh, as we say Croatia certainly weren't done and Bilic's order uh, sorry uh, yeah Bilic's orders to shoot on sight uh, are, are um, actioned again. And it was a long-range shot. Um, uh, 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 Petrich, of course, Mother coming Petrich, on. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Petrich uh, uh, scores in the 77th minute to put Croatia 3-2 up. And that really knocked the stuffing out of England. And you see Bilic go mad on the touchline, celebrate wildly, of course. Because, yeah. again... The, the, and, and this is the point I was sort of making earlier. England had made the game unnecessarily niggly and spicy and aggressive, mm-hmm. and Croatia responded to that. And so they were absolutely delighted to go 3 2 up. Yeah, for Croatia, it was a psychological thing above everything mm. else, I think, because uh, this is the kind of situation uh, that they really showed what they, uh, the managers and media referred to as the character, you know. They, they were 2 0 up. And then it was two two, and then uh, they they even I think most people in Croatia thought, okay, this is it now. We either stay two two or we lose this game. But then this again shot from the outside again 
on a specific instruction from uh, from uh, Slavin Bilic, who actually introduced Mladen Petic off the bench just a few minutes before that, I think for Eduardo. And uh, I think uh, Bilic was ecstatic because uh, at that moment he um, he knew that this squad has character, you know, and this is something that is going to carry them on the Euros, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, th this was an important thing for, for them to, mm -hmm. to, to, to show that they will not, you know, stumble, that they, they can uh, uh, still, you know, take that final step. And uh, I think uh, uh, at that moment that uh, he probably thought, okay, we're winning this now. Mm. Yeah. And they did, Jonathan. Yeah, but I mean, um, even that goal, you know, it's 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 caused by neither Jared nor Campbell gets anywhere near close enough to Petric. Mm. So I I don't know. Although it is a much better shot than um, sure, it's a better shot. Yeah, but but yeah. also, if you have time to line up a shot twenty five yards out, and okay, he he had a little bit less time than than Crenshaw had had, but Campbell is is in that he's in the worst of all positions in that he's not closing down the shot, but he's also blocking Carson's eye line. Mm -hmm. And Gerard, I think, is, is actually Gerard actually should go, should be the person who goes uh, to, a, a, across to Petrich. It's a, it, it comes down the left. I think it's Pranic plays it square to him. Who, who like, also here yeah, came off the bench? Yeah. yeah. So I, I think I think it was a Beckham clearance. Shimonich wins it on the halfway line, plays it down the line to to Pranic, He then knocks it inside, and Gerard doesn't get across. And then that means that Campbell is sort of caught in this halfway position. But even then, he could, he you know, he could charge the ball down. He doesn't. He hangs back. And again, you think, well, is, is that a is that a structural issue? Is it is it a just sort of this brain freeze? This this kind of a sense of, well, it's two two. We'll be fine. We don't need to do this defending. And suddenly, there's a the ball in the bottom corner, and and it, it's all over. Yeah. And the thing is that England were England were pathetic the last thirty minutes. Mm. They 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 created one half chance, which was at Darren Bent who came for bench. Down bench mm -hmm. shot, which was looped under the roof of the net. And apart from that, they didn't do anything. They just the yeah. stuffing went from them. Yeah, I think yeah. the most remarkable period of that game was the, the, those last minutes. And you know, you would expect England to, you know, throw everything they have to to do something. But Croatia looked so confident in those final minutes. They they looked uh, as if they just can't hurt them. And what they did try, they just tried. You know, the the classic English way. You know, just. You know, <laughs> lumping balls in the, in the box. And <laughs> but I mean, I think that that is exactly the point that, that England has had no process to have a faith in. So when it when they get under pressure, they go back to to the, the the worst English trait, which is well, if we try really hard and whack it long and run really hard, we might mm -hmm. we might get something. But it, it's it's hoping for lucky ricochets. Not you know, it's it's yeah. not it's not proper football. It's not planned, structured football. Mm. Stephen Gerrard said years later this that it's a memory I will have to take to the grave with me about this game, which is quite strong words. Uh, a friend of mine went to the game. He was a bit about 17, 18 maybe. Him and his mate were offered £300 for each ticket they had. And they said, no, 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 this is going to be a night to remember. <laughs> well, they weren't wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they've never forgot that, have they? <laughs> oh, dearie me. Um, and of course, we'll finish up just mentioning that this Croatia side went to Euro 2008 and really should have, you know, got to at least the semi-final. Obviously, they were beaten by yeah. Turkey, but they, they were great in the group. They were brilliant against and Germany. They, Absolutely brilliant Yeah, exactly. And so, but they may have, you know, it was a bit unfortunate against Turkey, of course, but, but they did show 
Europe what they were capable of in that in that group, winning three out of three. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, in time would be back in 2018 with with one or two of those players still in the side. So, yes, yeah. somehow it still feels like it's the same team as long as uh, Modric is playing. You know, <laughs> even though he he might be the only one now. You know, Rakitic uh, recently retired, and he wasn't. He was just uh, you know up and coming player. Back, back yeah, he came then. for Ben Schwalic about five yeah. some time in that yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, the Euro Euros was was his first like big showing, and he wasn't the player he is now back then. But it still somehow feels that, that this is the beginning of this generation, and now the end. And yeah. uh, everybody, I think most people thought that Modric would retire after the World Cup, at least internationally. But he didn't, and he's still playing. So <laughs> this is uh, like an extended uh, life, you know, of, of this generation still, in some respect. <laughs> Alex, it's been a pleasure talking to you uh, about this game. Thank you very much for coming on Thank the you. Greatest Games pod. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Uh, for more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Uh, but until next week, when we're back with another great game from football, thank you very much, Alex. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. Cheers, thank you. See you next week. Thank you.